today we have Shermy from the Surfer Jet. Shermy, thank you so much for joining me. No problem. My pleasure. Your band, I was just telling you right before we started, is badass. It's oh, really cool. Um, so you do all instrumental surf rock band, of course. I love the aesthetic in the the style. Like even when you guys are on stage, you have the match, matching outfits. Um, like I saw you guys played on the Beach Boys cruise. Yeah, yeah, we just you, got back. You were wearing like the the blue striped Beach Boys shirts and I loved it. I just love the <laughs> attention to detail and the care that you take even for something like your outfits. Yeah, I really think that kind of just organically happened after we, you know, decided to start the band. Nicole and I, like my bandmate Nicole and I, we started the band about seven years ago. And I think for me, it's always been more of a vision versus just a band. Like I think when I envisioned what we would be doing, it wasn't just like, oh, let's play surf music. It was like, oh, we sh it would be cool if we were this all female band playing surf music, but also wearing matching outfits and go-go boots and beehives. So it was always kind of like a, a vision from the beginning. So it was a, a complete thing that you you saw that you wanted to do right from the jump. Before that, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Yeah, like we've we've never not worn matching outfits. Like it's since day one, we've been doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, before you started the Surfer Jets, were you always into surf guitar? It seems like it's kind of the whole, I feel like people who are, are super into like rockabilly and surf music, it's its own subculture. You know what I'm saying? It's its own thing. I think I was just always generally interested in like vintage music I guess you would say I don't know how else to put it but ever since I was a kid I I was always attracted to like old stuff so I think it just kind of like naturally came about um for guitar playing I I played guitar in high school and then I'd kind of given up on it for like nine years I did I don't even think I touched a guitar for like nine years and then I picked it back up and when I was relearning how to play I found I I think it was the Munsters theme I learned first and I just realized like how fun instrumental guitar music was to play and I kind of I think surf just kind of naturally came along and there was a lot of I live in Ontario Canada and there was a lot of surf fans in Toronto at the time and I was going to surf shows in Toronto and I was like oh this really? is so cool like yeah I was like I want to I want to do this so that's kind of what like kind of just happened to be that I was learning guitar at the same time and you know being exposed to the all the surf shows I was going to kind of just kind of dictated it's kind of fun not having a singer like you know the guitars do the singing so it's more you know it's more fun playing your guitar lines sometimes well what I what I love about your band too is there's great interplay between your playing and Nicole's playing Oh, thank she, you. Yeah, she kind of rocks more um, like a lot of the videos that I was watching. She's like the Strat kind of sound uh, for surf rock. And then you play. I, I've seen you play a couple different guitars. I saw you have a harmony. 
like a jazz master that was kind of cool and sparkly. It was a jaguar. A jaguar. A jaguar. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And now I play a crusting creature, which is actually a custom guitar made by um, a man in Vermont named Creston. And it's actually like a scaled down. It's it. You can't tell just by looking at it when I'm playing it because I'm actually really short. So it looks like normal on me, but you know, a, a larger person picks it up and it looks like a toy on them. It's uh-huh. um, it's like a smaller, it's a smaller guitar made for smaller framed people, which I'm really grateful exists because most guitars look kind of silly on me, in my opinion, or I feel like they're overbearing. So this guitar is like super lightweight and it has like a surfy look too. You know, it looks offset. Sounds great. It sounds amazing. I, I never want to play another guitar. <laughs> There's but something. Yeah. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, no. So maybe you mentioned the play between Nicole and I. Yeah. She has, you know, like really, she has specific things. She's really great at. Like she's the improviser. She plays, she's like a blues background. So she does all that kind of stuff. I play more like percussive surf style. Um, so yeah, we have different styles, but I think together they work really well. It seems like you guys too are always rocking like the Fender silver face, super reverb drenched. I, like I, I was just looking at your amps that you, you had on stage. Are you, what do you, what do you usually play through live? Well, we were using, um, Fender Excelsiors for years. Those are like the pawn shop series ones, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. They were blue. We still have them. They're blue. And you know, we, we bought them for like, we're 300 and 350 bucks or something. We first started the band. So we just, they had like 15 inch speakers in them. And I really loved how clean it is. Like, you know, it doesn't break up as soon as you turn it up. Yeah. Um. So I always really loved those amps, but they are limiting because they don't have a lot of like tonal control. It's basically on and off. So, um, yeah, we actually started using recently Fender Pro Reverbs and that's what you're seeing. And I love those amps. It was a really great upgrade and we we still have matching amps. Yeah, but we we really love the tonal control and they sound great. They they. Uh... So yeah, that's what we use. When you're writing, are you writing for just your guitar part or are you sitting down and coming up with drums, bass, or is it a collaborative effort between the entire band? Um, I, Well, so far in the past, we, we've done it all kinds of ways, really, but it usually um, is Nicole and I, one of us might come up with a riff and then we'd sit down together and then we would work on it together beyond it. You know, like we both come to the table with a couple ideas and then, yeah, like we would build, like maybe I would write the verses and then she would write the bridge or vice versa. Um, but, you know, it's always, I feel like two heads are always better than one in, in those cases. Cause you know, I can really get in a box with my own songwriting and then introduce, you know, your creative partner into it and they're like oh what maybe this chord would sound cool there instead you know what I mean like I think it's great to have a different set of eyes on something and then yeah there's been times where we've you know kind of had ideas for bass and yeah we've even you know figured out the drum parts and said like oh this is what we want you to do so that's generally what we do but um it just depends like sometimes we'll have a rehearsal and be like hey we started 
learning this new song and then everyone kind of just joins in and that's where it grows from. So we don't have like an exact, you know, equation or anything, but yeah, you, it always starts with Nicole and I bouncing ideas around. Well, in terms of creativity too, I think there's something special about the, uh, the chaos of making something new where that idea it can you're just screwing around with an instrument in your hands and you hit that one chord and it makes you feel a feeling you know that you don't know what it is you don't even think about it you know what i mean it's like that creative flow state and then one chord becomes another chord becomes another sure. chord becomes a chorus whatever it is sure yeah and i think it something i've realized is like i don't have a lot of uh like theory knowledge i mean i used to play other instruments and I can read music and everything but as far as the guitar goes like it's a completely different landscape and I always struggled with theory in school like I always did playing I'm fine but um because I don't know that so much I feel like I also don't know the rules (laughs) so sometimes that can be like it could be a there's pros and cons to it because like I might make something up that seems bizarre on first look to someone who does have that more of that mindset but then it sounds cool so it's kind of like okay (laughs) so I think sometimes if you yeah there's pros and cons to that you you don't know the rules but sometimes that's not better no absolutely definitely I've for myself in terms of like playing you know I've been playing for over half my life now And for a long time, I didn't know um, anything. I got to a point musically where I just got stuck. So my only lateral move was I I had to start learning something new. So I started learning how to sight read because I moved to Nashville seven years ago and I knew how to do it a little bit. But I went through this time period where every day for at least 10 minutes, I was sitting down learning how to to sight read and i i don't know if you've ever visited nashville or, or played with anybody here yeah but it's um there is you will never need to use sight reading here unless you're playing with like the symphony symphony orchestra downtown <laughs> like I, I just got so obsessive with actually learning um when when i was in in high school i was never really a good student so i took music theory classes i did all that stuff um but for me i just got so bored and i almost overcorrected in my own musical journey what i was trying to do and i think in a lot of ways it sucked the fun out of music for me because it's like you go through these i've gone through these phases and cycles where there have been times where i love playing so much um, I can't imagine doing thing out anything else. And then there are other times where I really don't. It's almost like I don't even it's not that I don't like playing music. It's that I just I get stuck with it and I have to kind of reinvent it. It's like being in a relationship in a lot of ways. It's like sometimes you can feel, oh, my goodness, I'm so in love with this person. And then other times it's the dedication to the craft. You know what I mean? It's about communication and all the little details of trying to to make it work it's not necessarily that butterfly feeling all the time yeah I think 
on on the subject, I've noticed like some of the people that I'm close with that also work in music. I find sometimes like the joy of music can almost be zapped out of things like you're saying because it's your job and, you know, like people have to work with it in different capacities and it can be overwhelming. It can remind you of being at work. You can just like burn out on on it. So I try to I still try to find the ways to enjoy music on a daily basis. Like I listen to stuff that's completely different. Or like, you know, people call it like guilty pleasure music. I don't believe in that personally, because if I like it, I like it. I don't care. I will tell anyone. But I think I, you know, will put on loud music on my stereo and have like a dance party in the living room because I used to enjoy music so differently. And I want to try to like maintain that connection so that I'm not like, you know what I'm saying? I totally know what you mean. I mean, for me, um, you know, I was I was so like burned out last year. I, I was super busy and I loved everything that I was doing, but I didn't give myself the time to breathe or the time. Like, I, I think half the reason that I do music and that I want to play music is because there's a part of me in a positive way that's a perpetual teenager that believes in the the adventure, the journey, whatever you want to call it. And, um, I lost sight of that a little bit, but I've started gaining it back because I really wasn't active for close to nine months doing music. I wasn't doing anything. I was still doing Mm -hmm. the podcast, but there was a lot of reasons why I wasn't too busy for it. But, but recently I've started playing, um, with some buddies, um, downtown on Broadway And I've been learning all of these songs that I knew when I was a kid and like brushing up on them. And I have no intention other than being able to go down there and not eat shit when I play with them. Um, (laughs) And it's reinvigorated my music. I feel like I'm 15 again. Like I'm falling back in love with it. I'm remembering. I'm like, oh, actually, like I I do like playing cocaine by Eric Clapton or I do like (laughs) playing. Yeah, I don't know any random songs that they they played out on Broadway because it's like such sure. a uh, a mismatch of like songs, you know, because there's yeah. go ahead. Oh, I'm just saying, yeah. And like that, it's just a reminder too. like, of course, I do this as a job and I do it professionally. But we in our band, we never take ourselves too seriously either. There's a lot of like purists in our in our, you know, in our. small genre of music and it kind of sucks the fun out of things sometimes because things need to to naturally progress like I'm not saying change it and give it the same name but I'm saying you know we're not going to be able to do exactly the same thing they're doing in 1963 like it's just we we are not in the same time we it's not going to be the same why would we want it to be the same we should want to make your own version of it and we do play fun covers and we do make fun of ourselves. Like, it's just, I never want to like take myself too seriously. I want to take the work seriously, but I'd never want to take myself so seriously that I'm not having fun, you know? Yeah. I was definitely guilty of taking myself too seriously at one point. I think it, like being in a, in a high, a highly competitive environment, you know, people For always sure. say that For um, sure. it's just like, I always have made an effort to not be a part of the business and almost reject a lot of that in a way while still trying to run things independently 
and take care of myself. But um, I just really get into these modes where I, I become too much of a, of an isolationist. And I think when that happens, I become kind of, I don't become introverted. I become inverted. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not quite an echo chamber of just myself, but if I'm going to be real, it is where I'm like, I'm not doing anything. Cause I say no to almost anything people ask me to do. And it wasn't like that when I first moved here, I said yes to everything. Um, but again, just like going through the cycles and now like entering my thirties, you, you have to change your approach as time goes on. Like what I did at 25 or 26 doesn't work for me the same way anymore because I'm living like a different lifestyle now, you know? For sure. Yeah. I think you're, yeah, your, your attitude towards things definitely changes as you grow as a person. I think that's completely normal. And yeah, I think I'm the same. I, uh, yeah, I always take, I always take the work seriously, but I do. Yeah, I just try to still have fun and yeah. Tell me what the Toronto music scene is like. Well, there is, uh, I mean, there is so much music in Toronto. I mean, I don't live in Toronto. I live outside of the city, mm-hmm. but um, that's where we got our start. Our start for sure was, was in Toronto. Um, there's a lot of, yeah, everyone just says that it's actually can be in my experience, you know, difficult because there is so many bands and there, if you don't want to play that show for that money, someone else will, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, so things have really changed since COVID though. Like a lot of the smaller venues that we used to play at have closed down. So I, you know, we, we play, we generally play at the Horseshoe Tavern on, on Queen street when we do play in Toronto and like, if you asked me seven years ago, if you if I thought I would be playing at the Horseshoe, like I would be like, haha, yeah, right in my dreams. We play there. That's where we play now. And so I'm, I am proud of, you know, you have like those hometown goals. So I am proud to say that, you know, that's that's the venue that we play at now when we play in Toronto. But unfortunately, some of them, you know, the more intimate um, venues have closed down. And yeah, that, it, that makes me question where where are people going to play now? You know, yeah. I'm I'm used to being involved in the in the subculture world, though, you know, like rockabilly, surf, all that type of stuff. So that's what I've had experience with. But there's there's tons of bands. There's, you know, Americana, country, like anything. There's organ trios and like any kind of bands you can think of there. They have it in Toronto. It seems to be a very. um diverse place uh very 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 diverse i always hear it compared to new york city everyone says it's the new york city of canada um is that is that accurate would you say that's i would yeah i guess there would be no other place like it yeah in yeah if you're going to compare new york to any Canadian city it would be Toronto for sure it's 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 super diverse in all ways like food people music you know you can go to Kensington Market and there's all kinds of different like cultural foods you can get and um, it's normal to us but then you realize that that's not like that everywhere so what's your favorite thing about it 
about Toronto? Yeah. My favorite thing about Toronto is that they call it like the biggest small town. Like there's a joke. They call it like the biggest small town. Um, is that I don't live there and I didn't spend very much time there and I would just randomly be walking down the street and see somebody that I know. And, you know, I am a social person, so maybe it's just based on, you know, the fact that I do, you know, get into conversations with people at parties and things like that. But that is a real thing. <laughs> like I could just be wa- driving down the street in a place I've never been in Toronto and I see someone I know walking down the street. I do. I do love that. It's, it's, it's big, but it's small at the same time, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, It's like, you know, like when I first started going to America, it's like I would drive to Buffalo. Well, Buffalo spread out over this huge area. It's like, you know, it's like the city of Buffalo, but where even is that? Because I might look up like a store I want to visit and a restaurant and they're like super far away or you go to LA and everywhere is a 45 minute drive. I mean, with the traffic in Toronto now, that's true there too, but generally Toronto is just like a way more smaller more concentrated area so it's got all the big city things in it but they're just smushed closer together so I think that's kind of cool too so with the uh kind of like you were talking about earlier the subculture scene of um rockabilly and surf music and all of that is there a circuit in that area in your general area where shows are played at like car shows or roller derby shows is that kind of the deal there well it's like canada is a very large place but also we have a really low population for the amount of space there is so it's it's like a hard question to answer because it's not not really like yeah of course there's like a few car shows around the area but not really um i'd say it was more concentrated into venues in Toronto where that would happen you know there'd be like the the hot spots where you would be going to this tiki bar to see a band or that you know retro venue to see a band that you know in the subculture world but like I said because of COVID that's not really and I haven't really been in the scene in a while just because since the band kind of got more busy like when I get home I I'm just like I hibernate a lot of the time I'm just like a hermit it's almost like I don't you know, like people have asked me like, oh, do you associate going to a into a venue as like being at work? I don't really. It's not that. It's just that I kind of just get burnout on, you know, being that all the oh, it's overstimulating. So sometimes I just like, you know, being more chill when I get home. But for sure. Yeah. You just want to kind of hang out and not really think about any of that yeah. stuff. It seems like yeah. you guys do a lot of uh a lot of traveling and a lot of touring um and you uh you got some pretty cool gigs that you've done um like pinch me i'm dreaming kind of moments where you're <laughs> opening for the beach boys you're opening for reverend horton heat what is it like when you get those calls or that connect actually happens does it feel like, okay, we're going to do this. And then when you get there, it's like, wow, I can't believe we're actually doing this. Yeah. Like, I think sometimes I go into like a zone where I can't like let what's happening actually sink in. Cause I'm like a very sure. like driven, like, you know, work, get, get the jobs done, blah, blah, blah. And then sometimes I'm like, oh shit, 
like this is I can't believe what's happening you know what I mean like I do definitely have those moments and I am always you know like we've worked really hard but a lot of bands work really hard and I try to remind myself of that you know yeah, totally. it's like we, we're not doing anything more so than anybody else that's in the, you know doing the same stuff but we have gotten some really great opportunities and we fill we haven't we're filling a niche that seems to appeal to some of the stuff you know like the beach boys crews i we definitely fit in there you know but we're so grateful that we that we uh that we got that opportunity but it's still really surreal like sometimes i joke that it's like you know when you wake up from a dream and you're like oh man i had this dream that i was like on a cruise ship and i was playing hollywood squares and i was sitting in front of mark mcgrath from sugar ray yeah but like that actually happened so i'm like my my life has turned into a fever dream <laughs> you were playing hollywood squares in front of mark mcgrath from sugar yeah. ray yeah yeah, like they on the cruise ships, they'll do like special, not just shows like they'll have like, like we hosted bingo, like they had bingo with the surfer jets. So, well, they called it beach blanket bingo, which I thought was funny. But another was they did, they called it Kokomo squares, of course, because it was the Beach Boys cruise, but um, they set up like platforms and they had nine of like the celebrities on the boat sit as the, you know, the the uh, celebrities in the square. Have you seen Hollywood squares before? Yeah, of course. The old game show. Yeah. Okay. And then, you know, they had two contestants from the ship, you know, be the contestants. And then they would ask us the silly questions and stuff, but they asked one of us to do, um, to be one of the celebrities. And I, I, it's like my, if my a childhood me could see that. Cause I was always obsessed with like old TV shows and old game shows. I watched the match game like every single day. So <laughs> What's the what's the match game? I don't know if I know that. The match, the match game was a sixties. I think it was like late sixties, maybe early seventies game show, and it was like it was like a panel, and they would have two contestants, and the host, I think his name was Gene Rivers. He would read out cards, and it would be like, Barbara is such a hoarder. She has everything in her house, including the blank. And then they would have to fill in the blank. So the celebrities would, well, the contestant would pick the celebrity and then the celebrity would be like, give their answer or they write it on a card. And they'd have to try to pick the most obvious answer so that the person would get the points, right? Okay. Like family feud kind of. Kind of. But it's like you're relying. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, it's it's similar to family feud, but Richard Dawson who hosted family feud was actually o- o- often on the panel and he was always the best. Like he was a surefire win. Like if, if they picked Richard Dawson, he would always have like the right answer. Hey, you got to <laughs> go to the source to make it happen, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, game shows, bingo. This is my life now. Dude, speaking of Mark McGrath and Sugar Ray, um, one of my earliest musical memories is watching the music video for Every Morning. Do you remember that music video? I Yes, I vaguely remember the video, but I know every word to the song, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just such a, a 90s um, a 90s flashback. Sugar Ray had a lot of great songs. So great. And when he is on the cruise, he actually performs with the Beach Boys. Like he 
he comes up and he sings a couple of their songs with them. And then they actually, the Beach Boys play Sugar Ray songs and he sings with them. What? It was so cool. And yeah, and he's a he's a really nice guy. Like he's so supportive and so friendly. And like any fan that comes up to him on the boat, he just takes time for like every single person. I just like wow when and <laughs> even when we were playing Hollywood Squares, like he was just you know he was yeah he's just very yeah he's just a, he's just a great guy. One of the songs that you um you guys really do that I love there's a there's a couple of them as far as the covers go. Uh Toxic of course by Britney Spears. The arrangement is fantastic because you guys kind of reinvent what the song was. You know, you're taking the the melodies, the lines. When you're sitting down to to try and do something like that like what are you using for a roadmap? Are you making a demo first? Or are you going to be like, I definitely want this particular thing to, to be an element. What is the process like for that? Um, well, I think over time we've developed an ability to hear a song and go, Oh, that's surfable. Or we could surfify that song. Some songs aren't good candidates. Like if it doesn't have a, a, a melody with, like peaks and valleys and things like that it's not if it's monotone and in a, in its nature it's not going to really translate that well on the guitar you know it's just going to be like bam blah 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 but like it's yeah. so um and toxic it because we're talking about toxic it even has like a surf guitar line in it like if you hear it yeah. on the radio it does yeah, totally in the one part um it's actually nicole's idea best idea i don't think that <laughs> it was made in the band because you know, it went viral on YouTube. So that really helped us, you know, get along with things. Um, but I think we just, I've listened to so much original surf music that we just, it's kind of like we have like a dictionary or like a pool of things that make songs sound like surf songs. And then totally. you just listen to the song that we want to change and it'd be like, oh, that that line could be done in like tremolo picking to like, it's it's hard to explain, but it's just like we hear or, you know, oh, that part, part can be palm muted. Oh, we could do that part up here and make it sound like pipeline or you know what I mean? Like totally. it's almost like we, we try to play off the classic surf songs and add in elements into like the modern songs that we cover. We didn't invent that. The Ventures... Like the good example of that is like the Ventures Christmas album. Mm -hmm. We were like we're huge fans of the Ventures. They took pop songs of the time or rock songs, pop songs, and almost every single song on their Christmas album starts out and you think it's going to be like a Ray Charles song or you think it's going to be a different song than it it ends up turning into a Christmas song. So I think that's always been kind of like one of the tricks of surf bands and covers is just like kind of making it's kind of like tongue-in-cheek almost it's like oh see i got you this is <laughs> this is toxic and even like the beginning where nicole and i we slowed down where we just made up an intro to toxic where we really slow it down and we're doing like a you know a callback thing it's kind of like the beginning of uh, the trashman's malaguena where it's it's just one guy but he they slow it down and they play like a free form slow version of malaguena and then when it comes in it's like quicker so that intro has always reminded me of what they did in Malaguena. My favorite surf song of all time has to be 
Slaughter on 10th Avenue by the Ventures. Do you oh, know yeah. that one? Yeah, yeah. It is the most beautiful melody I've ever heard. And there's a couple different um, versions of it. There's one that was on their one of their albums, though. That's the one that I'm like, this is the version. Um, but yeah, even that song, that's that's from like a Russian ballet or something like that, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, they they did have some originals, but they made their their name off of yeah, doing like cool rock and instrumentals of those songs, and I just think it's like a, it's almost like becoming a lost art, and you know when like people will be like, oh, you're a cover band or whatever. I don't I don't take offense to that, or you know like some people try to like make that sound like it's it's not the same thing. We're making like original totally arrangements and clever arrangements we do like medleys that we like intertwine two songs together and it's like i think it's really clever so it's like it's about the arrangements it's not about just you know playing a cover it's it's so much more than that there's so much more thought goes into like making it our own you know well you guys are such a great band because it's truly something that would exist in the 21st century, but you're con- continuing the same classic vein as all of the, the great surf rock bands that have come before you. You know what I mean? Um, what I love is really, it seems you're a master of um, aesthetic. Like, I feel like you you get into something and you you live it and, and breathe it. Like, we started off talking about the outfits, the sounds, like even even the sounds that you guys have, it's it's a throwback, and I really I don't always necessarily like that that word, but um, I mean that in the best possible way. No, I'm totally fine with that. I'm obsessed with vintage. I have been since I was a kid. Like I, this the aesthetic is my aesthetic. I don't wear I wouldn't wear a beehive every day in my normal life, but sure. you know, like I do that's what I'm attracted. That's what I am attracted to. And I'm also in every area of my life. Like I'm, it's like, I go the extra mile. Like, like when we hosted bingo, I made us bingo visors that had like the surfer jet logo on them because I'm like, we have to have outfits to host bingo. Like in everyone's like really on board with it. Like they all, you know, like it's, it's like a fun part of what we do. And um, it's also like easier sometimes to have like a set out outfit for your show. <laughs> it's like, you don't have to think about what you're wearing. Cause I have it all, you know, planned totally. out, but um, yeah, I think it's just the, the cohesive look of everything is definitely. Um, yeah. It's something people enjoy. I've had people even say like, oh, I love coming to your shows and my favorite part seeing what you guys are wearing that night. <laughs> well, the outfits are so badass because it's uh, it seems like you you have a a different or an entire cachet of a of a wardrobe um, maybe for is it for different tours or different nights like. It could be down to who's playing that night because we do have a couple different people playing like Nicole and I are always the constants we're kind of, we joke we're kind of like the ventures that way because it was always Don Wilson and Bob Bogle but over the years they did have different drummers different bass player like Bob Bogle switched out to bass when Noki joined like we've we're, we're doing what we need to do like 
not, you know, it's hard right now. COVID changed the landscape of playing in a band so much that we just got to do what we got to do. And so we do have a few band, extra band members that sub in sometimes and play shows. So the outfit could be down to who's playing and what fits who and (laughs) what, how hot is it going to be in the venue? And like, um, what's what what's clean what have I washed like but I do try to cycle them when we're picking like if we wear something a lot then I'll like put it in the back of the closet for a bit so that when pictures are taken and like you know videos are posted it kind of has looks like we're wearing something different all the time but that that outfit could have been brought back from six years ago you know so do you just have a gigantic walk-in closet that goes for miles and, and miles? I do not. I have a really small closet that have I that we have all the stuff in. I have though discovered pants hangers, like they're the hangers, but they go like in a in a an S shape. Okay. To put pants they put that you hang pants on them. Okay. So it's made it so I can hang like all of the one outfits on okay. one hanger. Because, you know, a lot of them are just, like, thin and light. So they can be on, like, one pants hanger instead of hanging, like, four up. Yeah. So are you collaborating with Nicole to, to pick out these outfits? Like, are you going to thrift stores? How do you how do you do that? Because that, that seems yeah, like, like a, a lot of work in itself. Yeah, like, we have to – we divvy up, you know, different jobs and things. That, like, sometimes – someone in the band might see something and send me a link and be like, Oh, this is cool. Or Nicole will see something or Sarah will see something. Um, or it's like, Oh, we have this tour coming up and we need something specific for this. So I'll just like get looking or we've had the maid. We've sewed our own outfits before. Like they've come from all over. They've come from the mall. They've come from, they've just come from all over. It's like, whatever, you know, wherever we can find them. Well, Wherever has I, a good sale. Yeah, no, I definitely feel that. It's definitely important to uh to get things on sale, especially if you're in a band. Yeah. Um I was taking a look at your social media and um it's it seems like you do like embroidery. You have a online store for that. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Um, yeah. So I guess I you know, like like every musician these days, it's like you know, music doesn't always pay the bills. So, you know, I've had different jobs and stuff for when we're home. And I just kind of wanted to find something to do when I'm home that I can work from home because it's kind of hard finding an employer that will (laughs) be okay with you leaving for copious amounts of time and coming back. Totally. But um, yeah, and I kind of just wanted something I could do at my own pace. And I'm a super crafty person. So I was, I... I was making like Christmas stockings a couple of years ago and I was like hand embroidering people's names on them. And it was taking so long. And I remembered about these like vintage machines called chain stitch machines. And they were like the machines that would put like the names on the old gym uniforms or the old varsity jackets. And you can like hand write with them. So I got this idea in my head that I wanted to find a chain stitching machine, but they're very rare and they're they're usually very expensive because they're, they stopped making them, I think in like 1972. 
So they're, they only exist from the 20s to or the 30s, whenever, to the 70s. Um, so yeah, I just spent like a week on the internet and I came out with like dark circles under my eyes and I was like, I found one. <laughs> so I found one and I had to drive to get it. But yeah, my dad rebuilt it for me and then I got practicing and then it it's it's the type of embroidery that was done on like vintage western wear so like nudie suits and all the oh western nice wear. so like you know like graham parsons suit with like the leaves and the plants and stuff on it that that's done on a chain stitching machine okay yeah so yeah like tons of that stuff in nashville um my friend sorry she works at h barcy or she does custom chain stitching and makes her own western wear and she also works with HBRC in Nashville. Um, she's a fellow chain stitcher too. But anyways, it's like it's like a, a an old art that's coming back. Like people are wanting, I feel like people are wanting more artisanal things, you know, like not just things embroidered on a computer. Like there's a handmade element to chain stitching that you cannot get off a computer. Not it's not there's never two of the same because it's all done by hand. Done by a machine, but you drive it with your hand. So, so you actually, I really love doing it to sit there and, and do it. I, I imagine too, it's like a little bit like playing music in a way where you're getting into this flow state when you're, when you're sitting down to do it, let's say you get a big order in where you're just doing it over and over again, you get into like a, a flow state doing it. You have a podcast out in the background, maybe some music, something like that. For sure. For sure. And you know, like a lot of times it's just like a one-off thing, but it can be a really big project where there's lots of space to fill and you've got to fill all that space by hand. So it can take hours, but that's just the the nature of the beast, you know? And, and I do love doing it. I find it very therapeutic and it's, it's good for like anxiety. Um, yeah, it's a very, I find it very relaxing when it's working out, <laughs> you know, like sometimes there's stressful projects and I'm not, I'm not calm, but um, it's something I have yeah, been doing now for about a year and I do really, really enjoy it. And it, it's, it's a creative outlet outside of music. It's like I said, something I can do at my own pace. All of my clients have been super understanding too when like they, they message me for something and I'm like, Hey, I'm on tour right now. Can we, can we revisit this in like a month or so? Everyone's been like super patient and they get it. So, um, yeah, it's been uh, a cool like little discovery that I, that I got into. That's really cool. Um, what do you guys have on the horizon right now? Are you going on tour this coming summer? Are you recording more music? What do you got going on? Well, we definitely want to record more music. Um, you know, that's kind of something we're always, you know, that's usually, that's always our ambition. So that's kind of what we have planned for the next little bit. Uh, we have the High Tide Summer Holiday coming up in August, which is one of our favorite things to play. It's actually our label's summer festival. It's a surf festival. And uh, the Ventures are headlining this year. Nice. Um, Messer Chops is playing. Five, six, seven, eights are playing. Like there's just, it's just going to be a really cool, it's a really, really cool event. And I love Asbury Park. I don't know if you've been to Asbury Park. It's in New Jersey. And it's Jersey like, Shore, it's, right? It's the Jersey Shore. It's the part. It's the part where um, Bruce Springsteen is from. Totally, yes, the we Stone actually, Pony. Yeah, it's yeah, it's right by the Stone Pony. So we played a festival there last year called See Here Now, which was like one of the coolest things we've ever done because it was a really, really big 
festival and Stevie next played and all that stuff. It was, it was really, really cool. But it was like right on the beach. It's right on the ocean, but high tides um, festival has been on the ocean before, like on the beach, but because, you know, it's really hard with, with the weather and stuff to know what's going to happen. I think they do it at the, it's called Asbury lanes and it's this coolest, it's got this huge stage. It's a bowling alley, but it's like, it's just like, the, it's so cool. And the vibe in Asbury Park is just so magical to me. I don't know why, but I was always like obsessed with Coney Island as a kid. Like kid living in like rural Ontario, you think all these like American places are so like magical when you hear stories. Romantic. Yeah, it, I've totally romanticized so many American states. And I'm not saying that they aren't. Well, sometimes I've got there and I've been like, oh, <laughs> huh. But Asbury Park, I haven't actually been to Coney Island yet, but I I think Asbury Park, it's it's very similar because like the same guy invented both back in the day. It's got like one of the big like cartoon heads there. But yeah, there's just a magical vibe about Asbury Park. And yeah, we've played their festival a few times. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to that this summer. And it's cool. It's like it's like summer camp for surf bands because you go there and like a whole bunch of other surf bands are there and your friends and it's cool. Have you guys toured Japan yet? No, but that would be like a total I feel like, list item. Yeah, you guys would kill it in Japan. Um, because they like it's it's so crazy. Like a couple of months ago, I got really into Japanese funk. I went down this whole <laughs> rabbit hole um and it was it was really cool to kind of um to see but uh yeah it seems like japanese culture in general um or the people of japan they really love all of these kind of very subculture music things of course they love all the big like american rock bands and stuff like that but like jazz is still really big in japan it seems like surf music is still really big in japan funk is big in japan um, so it's just kind of cool to see. I feel like you guys would kill it over there. I've never been. I would love to go. Um, but I, I hope for you that you get to go over there one day because I feel like they would roll out the red carpet for you. Yeah, I feel like it has been said, like the words have been spoken. But I mean, the ventures are huge there. Um, and I know that they still do tours there. So, yeah, I'm hoping to. I'm hoping to find some coattails to jump on to, to get. It's going to happen. We're putting it out into the universe. (laughs) Yes. We're manifesting this, Uh, but that would be an ultimate bucket bucket list thing. Um, And I I find it really cool to go to like different places. We've played mostly in America. We've been to Mexico, but just seeing like different, how different fan bases respond to things. is so, so interesting. You know, like when I went to Mexico, I felt like a celebrity. Like it was just like, you know, they were just like so into it. They're so passionate. I loved, you know, I just loved like the energy at that at that festival. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, Shermie, thank you so much for joining me today. Keep on fighting the good fight. I love what you're doing. Um, and what we're gonna do is uh here, let me ask you this. Where can people find you at? Like, how can they find your band? How can they get stuff embroidered by you? That kind of a thing. So the band is on Instagram and Facebook, just the Surfer Jets. 
that's kind of across the board. Twitter, YouTube, we have a YouTube channel. Um, we have a bunch of videos on there. So yeah, just type the Surfer Jets in anywhere. Uh, me personally, I'm Miss underscore Shermet on Instagram. And my uh, my chain stitching is Shermie's Stitchery on Instagram. Well, cool. Hey, here is Couch Survey. So thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thank you.